about YouTube today because this is going to be, um, we're starting a new series and I'm so excited. This is going to be awesome. Amen. Would you do me a favor? Just bow your heads. Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you, Lord God, for this service, for this time, for Lord God, your word, your presence. God, I ask you, even as we begin this time, that Lord, that you'd wear me like a glove today. That, Father, the substance of everything that's said would be from you. That people would see beyond my words and hear your spirit deep in their hearts. That, Father, that we would leave here different than we came in. And that at the end, Lord God, we would give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. It's in your name we pray. And everybody say, Amen, Amen. You may grab your seats. Amen. It's awesome. You know, we're in July, and just a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated July 4th, right? Um, It's a lot of food. But the significance of that day, really, has to do with the fact that in 1776, we wrote, uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote the this uh, declaration, declaration of independence. Oh, that's kind of hard to say. We don't have one of those in Jamaica. we, we got our independence because uh, England gave it to us. You guys fought for it. Amen? And in that declaration of independence, there are these words which are immortal. It says this, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of of happiness. If you don't know that, maybe you're not Amer- American. Anybody know that? The pursuit of? The pursuit of? Of happiness. You know, that phrase, the pursuit of happiness, is really critical. And it has two assumptions. One which is true, one which is not. The first assumption is that everybody wants to be happy. I mean, if you think about it, right, we we make drugs to make people happy, right? You never see any drugs out there that says, hey, you know, the purpose of this drug is to make you sad. Like nobody walks around saying, "Uh, I want to be, we make songs for people so that they can be happy, right? Um, In fact, you know that one, it says, because I'm happy along if you feel like a roof, room without a roof. Which doesn't make any sense to me, because I'm from Jamaica, and we have hurricanes, and a room without a roof is not something that you're happy about. (laughs) Happy. Everybody wants to be. Here's the wrong assumption about that statement. The wrong assumption is that the person pursuing happiness knows what will make them happy. That's the wrong assumption. Because the truth is, many of us pursue things that we think will create happiness, but it doesn't. I mean, that's the reason why you want that car. That's the reason why you want that house. That's the reason why you want that girl, right? It's because you think somehow that will make you happy. And some people want to get married so they can be happy. Some people want to get divorced so that they'll be happy. Everybody is pursuing happiness And oftentimes they're pursuing it through the wrong means. So today, we're going to, we're starting this whole series called In Pursuit. 
And today we want to talk about trivial pursuits. In other words, we are busy pursuing things that actually don't lead anywhere. Um, when my kids were younger, they all had in their head a list of things that would make them happy. Your kids had it too. Uh, let me give you an example. Not going to school was on that list. Watching more TV was on that list. Not eating my vegetables was on, for one of them. Not eating at all was on that list. Right? There's there's a whole bunch of things I had, like having longer summers, shorter. You see what I'm saying? But I couldn't allow what they thought would make them happy control me and allow me to give them what they thought would make them happy. I had to use what I knew would make them happy and use that to direct their lives. Why? Because my thoughts were higher than their thoughts and my ways are higher than... So guess what? They had to line up with my ways because I knew what would lead to a better life. Oftentimes, that's how we are in the kingdom. Oftentimes, we have immature thoughts about what we think would make us happy. Here's the thing about God. God never designed anything outside of Himself to bring you joy. Okay, I'm going to say that again. God never designed anything outside of Himself to bring you joy. And pursuing God's kingdom is the only thing that will bring personal fulfillment in your life. I said, that's why the guy has divorced the girl that he once pursued. Because he thought if he got her, she would make him happy. But she was never created to make him happy. She can't do what she wasn't created to do. Marriage was not designed to make you happy. I just messed with some of your theology right there. So you're like, oh my gosh. You know, when someone says they're happily married, they need to be happily before they're married. Because marriage can't make them happily. You're following. And so oftentimes, we're busy pursuing things and people and situations and promotions that we think will somehow bring us fulfillment. God never designed it to do that. God designed, there's only one thing that's created, only one thing that exists that can cause you happiness. And that's pursuing the kingdom of God. Amen. Hallelujah. But there are three common mistakes that we make when it comes to pursuing His kingdom that the Bible warns us about. And that's what we're going to look at today. First of all, let's go to Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. And we're going to be picking up where Paul is speaking about the kingdom of God. So the first point today is don't confuse the kingdom with works. Don't confuse the kingdom with works. Um, Chapter 14 of Romans verse 17 says this, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy. In the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Before we kind of break into that scripture, I want to talk to you about what kingdom means. The kingdom comes from two words. We're putting two words together. One is king, obviously, and it says king is lord. It means master. It means ruler. It means the one who is in charge of. If you've ever rented a house, then you know the landlord is the one who owns the house. You're just occupying the space. 
If anything goes wrong with the house, it's not your responsibility to fix it. It's the Lord, the landlord's responsibility to fix it. Amen? Amen. And so, uh, a landlord, imagine as it were, so God is the Lord of His kingdom. God is the Lord of anything that is within the sphere of His kingdom. The word dom comes from the word domain. Domain is territory, area. Domain is anything that is controlled or ruled or governed by something or someone, by government. And so the kingdom of God is any territory that God is king over. Does that make sense? Anything He controls... Anything he's master of, anything he lords, he rules, is his kingdom. Paul brings about this idea, but the idea actually comes from Jesus, because the kingdom was the sole focus of Jesus' teaching and life. The first message Jesus ever preached was, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. In fact, every parable, almost every parable that Jesus speaks, He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. Kingdom of heaven is like, is like a man who does this. Kingdom of heaven is like a woman who lost her coin. Kingdom of heaven is like a shepherd who lost his sheep. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, over and over again. He spoke about the kingdom more than any other subject, topic, anything else. The kingdom was the focus of His ministry. And so... It's important for us to understand the kingdom. If we don't understand the kingdom, we won't understand the central theme of Jesus' message. It's where God is in charge. It's where God is in control. There's some of us, we're in the kingdom because we're born again. But we haven't allowed the king to have dominion over us. And the reason is, we're still pursuing the wrong things. We're still trying to be our own king, and we're still trying to build our own kingdom. It gets heavier. (laughs) So when Jesus spoke about the kingdom, the people of the time understood him kind of differently than we do. Because we understand it from a spiritual standpoint. The people at the time understood it from a political uh, perspective. Because Israel was under the kingdom of Rome. And historically, they were under the kingdom of Rome, and then before that they were under the kingdom of the Greeks, and then before that they were under the kingdom of the Babylonians, and then before that under the kingdom of the Assyrians, and then before that they were their own kingdom. Right? They had kings. They had uh, Saul and David. And they had um, Solomon. So they understood kingdom. They understood that when we conquered territory, that it belonged to us. And our influence impacted that. So that everything that we owned, all the people there in that area would conform to our culture. They would conform to the way we did things. That when you were a part of a kingdom, you started to act and behave and speak like the king. This is, this, is very, this, is very, this is very serious right here. So that the kingdom was something that had influence in the people's lives of who belonged to the kingdom. That's why our whole New Testament is written in Greek. Because when the Greeks took over, the Greeks owned so much of the world that Greek became the common language of all these nations that were under the Greeks. So that everybody spoke Greek. It was influence. And so it was 
the, the people of the Pharisees, the Pharisees, they were looking for God to come back and politically take over the kingdom of Rome. And they were expecting the Messiah to come with a sword and to destroy everyone. And Caesar would no longer be king, but God would put on the throne, finally, the Messiah. And so when Jesus came, it was really hard for them to accept him because he didn't come looking like a warrior. And so they said, hey, Jesus, you keep talking about the kingdom of God. When is it going to come? And so in Luke 17, they said to him, Jesus, when is the kingdom going to come? And he said, look, the kingdom doesn't come by observation. You can't say, someone says, hey, look over there, there's a kingdom. Or look over there, there's a kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God, catch this, is within you. Here's what he was saying. The rulership, the mastership, the kingship of God is something that is internal. It is something that should control you from the inside. The, the, the thing that Jesus was saying is that God wants to establish His kingdom in your soul. Where your thoughts, your will, your emotions, everything that is within you that generates your, your desires are all lined up with Him and His culture and how He operates. That He's trying to govern you and there is a tug of war going on within my soul that says, but I don't want you to govern me, Lord. And God says, but the only way you can find fulfillment and joy and happiness is if you allow me to govern your soul. If your heart is in my hands. Until then, what we end up doing is chasing other things we think are going to bring us fulfillment. So God's government, God's rulership, His lordship, His ownership is within you. That He has designed you to need Him in your life to be fulfilled. And so we go back to Paul. And Paul says, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. We were, we were having an argument in the Roman church. And what happened was that there were some people who recognized, hey, once you're born again, you don't need to follow the Old Testament law. And so guess what? Bacon is back on the table. Hallelujah. So I'm bringing home bacon all the time, right? Uh, but then you had some people who were there and their problem was, listen man, I can't eat that. I mean, I'm not going to eat pig. I'm not going to eat shrimp. I'm not going to eat lobster. What's wrong with them? You know what I'm saying? And so the people who were eating like bacon were like, man, you guys aren't as spiritual as us. And, and, and the people who are not eating were saying, you guys aren't as spiritual as us. And then there was a, so there's this contention. And Paul said to them, hey, listen guys, if you don't eat bacon, you don't eat unto the Lord. And if you eat bacon, you eat unto the Lord. Here's the deal. If you go to IHOP and you bring a friend with you to IHOP and you know he don't eat bacon, do not order ordered the bacon special. Because the issue here is not that you're doing what is uh, religiously right and oh, I'm following the law and oh, I've got this all together and I know God more than you. The problem is you are not caring for your brother and therefore you're breaking a bigger law. You're breaking love one another law. And so guess what? You can do all the right things but the right things don't mean that you're acting like kingdom people. You follow me? And so what he was saying to them is, when he says, the kingdom of God not eating or drinking, what he was saying is, the kingdom of God is not a religious exercise. The kingdom of God is not coming to church. The kingdom of God is not giving your tithe. 
The kingdom of God is not prayer. The kingdom of God is not reading the word. It's not fasting. The kingdom of God is not the checklist that you use to say, I've gotten all the things done. If you want to see the evidence of the kingdom of God, it's not when you go on someone's Facebook and they post a verse. That's not the evidence of the kingdom of God. The evidence that the kingdom of God, the rulership of God, the lordship of God exists is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. A lot of times I have, I have uh, my friends, uh, my kids' friends will come over to the house. And they'll come over, they watch a movie, they little stuff. And all of them behave the way my kids behave when they're in my house. Because my house has certain rules. You don't do certain things in my house. And if you came over to my house and you didn't know who my kids were, you'd think they were all my kids. You wouldn't even know the difference. They're, the, the friends of my kids, they come over, and here's the thing. They behave like my kids, but they're not. What they've done is, they've conformed to acceptable behavior, but they're not interested in a relationship with me. And oftentimes, we have gotten all the spiritual checklist stuff done, but we're not particularly interested in Him being the King of my heart. So God, I did my devotions today. But I'm not doing my devotions so that I can know you more or so that you can change me. I'm doing it to say I did it. I'm not reading the Bible with the intent that the word would get in me and change me. I'm reading it because I'm supposed to do it. I'm not giving because this is changing my heart. I'm giving because I feel bad (laughs) or I'm supposed to give. I come to church, but I'm not coming to church going, God, change me. I'm coming to church because it's a part of the checklist of things I ought to do if I'm in the kingdom. Are you following me so far? And so Paul was trying to clear that up. And Paul was saying, guys, the problem you have here is that you're thinking the kingdom is all about activity that looks religious. He says, no, the kingdom... When you see the kingdom, you see righteousness, you see joy, you see peace in operation. That's why I said that God didn't design anything outside of Himself to bring you fulfillment. Because outside of Him ruling your life, you can't find righteousness, you can't find peace, and you can't find joy. So turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. So the first thing is, don't replace the kingdom with works. Don't replace the kingdom with With works. Seek for God to rule your lives, not just do works that look right. Are you following me? All right. Matthew chapter 6 is real powerful. This is Jesus speaking, and he ends up speaking about the kingdom, but he addresses uh, this next common mistake. And the next common mistake is this don't replace the kingdom with things. So don't replace the kingdom with works, but don't replace the kingdom with things. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 25. He says, Therefore I say unto you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet, and I want to underline these next three words, your heavenly Father feeds them. 
your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Cubit is like, you know, it's a few inches, right? And I've tried this. It don't work. Okay? I've worried like, oh God, make me taller. Gosh. It don't work. It don't work. So he says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to your stature. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of them. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So let's stop there. Jesus addresses this whole idea of things replacing the kingdom with two ideas. Number one is don't worry. Don't worry. It's like that, that old hymn. Remember that old Baptist hymn. Don't worry about a thing. Because every little thing has got to be alright. Don't worry. But here's how he says don't worry. He says, listen, worrying is a sign that you're replacing the kingdom with something else. Worrying is a sign that you've shifted source, your source of joy, your source of peace, your source of contentment from the kingdom to something else. So he says, don't worry about your life. Because that's what we do. We end up worrying about our lives. And when we start worrying about our lives, what happens is that we start pursuing the wrong things, hoping that they will bring security to our lives. We, we pursue things we think are the source of our happiness. He says, don't worry about those things. Look at the birds. Your heavenly Father provides for the birds. Not their heavenly Father. Your heavenly Father. That's really important. Because the word Father does not just mean a male parent. It doesn't just mean that. The word Father means source and sustainer. In other words, he's saying, look, look at the birds. Your source, your sustainer provides for them. How much more if your source provides for them, will your source provide for you? Now the whole idea of source comes back from Genesis chapter 1. And the idea here, the concept here, is that when God created the heavens and the earth, He made, you know, everything that was in it, and He separated the land from the water, and He called the dirt land and the water sea. And when He looked at the land and the sea, He created everything, He created an environment that was perfect for everything to live. And then when God wanted to create something, at that point, what He would do is speak to the source of the thing He was trying to create. So that the source of the thing he was trying to create became became the sustainer of the thing that he was trying to create. Okay, let me give you an example. So God said to the land, He said, let there be grass and plants and trees. And so the land brought forth grass and plants and trees. And the land became the source and the sustainer of grass and plants and trees. So that 
This, this, that's why this morning, when you had that orange and you took the seed out, if you put that seed on your kitchen counter, that seed will not grow. Why? Because you've separated it from its source and its sustainer. That seed, therefore, becomes dormant and never fulfills its potential because you've separated it from its source. So, he says to the water, water, bring forth living creatures. We call those creatures fish. And so, fish fill the ocean. But if the fish got out of the water onto land, it may look like it's having a good time. But it's not. Why? Because you've separated the fish from its source. And so when God wanted to create man, He didn't speak to the land, He didn't speak to the sea, God spoke to Himself. And He said, let us make man in our image and our likeness, after our kind. Here's what God was doing. God spoke to the source of man. So that when man is separated from his source, this is good. This is good right here. When man gets separated from his source, he can never fulfill his potential or his purpose because he's no longer connected to what sustains him, what is his source. The issue that Jesus was dealing with here was that we have changed our source from who God is to what we want, thinking that that will bring us happiness and joy and fulfillment. That's why we end up in divorce, because we thought somehow that was going to sustain us. The marriage won't sustain you. It can't bring you identity. The car cannot bring you identity. The house cannot bring you security. Let me tell you something. There are people arguing in the house you want. It didn't bring them the joy you thought it will bring you. God never designed anything outside of Himself to meet your deepest needs. Here, here's the second thing Jesus says. He says, don't worry. Then He says, don't be a pagan. That was kind of heavy. Don't be a pagan. Uh, he goes on, Jesus goes on and says, hey, After these things, the pagans chase. After these things, the pagans chase. I says, but your heavenly father already knows that you have need for those things. So what's a, what's a pagan? A pagan, according to Jesus, uh, being preoccupied is someone who's preoccupied with and pursuing material things in order to get fulfillment. Pagans aren't people who don't believe in God. Pagans believe sometimes in many gods. The problem with pagans are they're idolaters. They worship things made with hands. They put things before God. They see things at the source of their happiness. They look to things or others or others to provide for them. And to give them fulfillment. If you think your boss is your source, you might be thinking like a pagan. (laughs) 
You see this whole conversation that Jesus had about don't worry and don't be a pagan. It really started one verse before I started reading. It started in verse 24. And verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will love one and despise the other, or you serve one and hate the other. Here's what he was saying. He was saying, you can't serve God and mammon. Why? Because mammon is the thing that promises us joy and happiness and significance and all of this outside of God. Mammon is that spirit, it is that, that attitude, it is that, that spirit of the world that says, look, if you only had blank, then you'd be happy. Then you'd be significant. Then you would be, and it has all this list. And when we go, man, I can't wait until I get this for me to feel that, we are operating under that spirit of paganism. We have put something in the place of God. Only God can make you happy. Only God can give you joy. Only God can provide peace. Only God can make you significant. Only God can make you secure. You can't find that outside of Him. And so when we're chasing other things, then we start thinking like a pagan. And we become easy prey for the enemy because all he has to do is flash that thing before our eyes. Um, We are uh, borrowing a dog. We're borrowing a dog named Chuck. Okay? And uh, Chuck is... um, How do I say this? Everybody in, in the house thinks Chuck is cute. Okay, I think Chuck has a face that only a mother could love. Um, Chuck loves food. Chuck loves food. And Chuck is a sweet dog, cuddle with you, all that. But man, food. Chuck will do anything for food. Anything for food. Okay? But there's one food Chuck loves more than anything else. And that's peanut butter. Chuck loves peanut butter. And Chuck has his little toy. It's shaped like a cone. It has a hole in the center. And it's very rubbery. And so what we do with Chuck is that we would put some peanut butter in that toy. And Chuck would just go crazy. I mean, Chuck is just like, he'll just go crazy for the peanut butter. Once he smells it, he just goes crazy. Well, here's the thing with Chuck and me. Sometimes I want Chuck to go into his cage. And Chuck don't want to go in his cage. So you know what I do? I just take a little peanut butter. Come on now. Come on, somebody I just take a little peanut butter and put in this toy and throw it in the cage. And Chuck goes, and Chuck just goes, man. Chuck, Chuck goes crazy. He just goes in and then he's in there. He's preoccupied with peanut butter and I'm locking the cage behind Chuck. Man, Chuck goes, I mean, Chuck is in heaven until he realizes, wait a minute. I'm trapped. I'm trapped. A lot of times that's how we are. A lot of times the enemy, once we have shifted our source of happiness, the enemy just simply finds the thing that we think is going to bring us happiness. 
He dangles the thing before us. Man, he throws it. And before long, we're stuck like... Say, how how do you know if you're thinking like a pagan? Man, check your prayers. Check your prayers. Man, your prayers like, man, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. God, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. I want. What about me? What about me? What about me? Boy, is is your prayers like that? Are you praying, God, help me to grow in you? God, help my heart to be submitted. God, if you don't want me to have it, Lord God, help me to have a shift, a change of heart. God. Show me your will. Listen, when you compare your prayers to the prayers of Paul, man, it's just so different. Paul never said, Philippians, you know, I've been praying for you that you would get bigger houses and faster cars and hallelujah. A shinier donkey that will move. Like, we don't, like you don't pray that? What's Paul praying? Paul's praying like, that, that you would know the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of the love of God in Christ Jesus. That your eyes, the eyes of your wisdom would be open. That you would see the, the, the knowledge of God. He, he'd pray things like that you would be rooted and grounded in Christ. He's praying prayers that has to do with our spiritual growth and development and who we are in the kingdom. And we spend so much time praying about our needs that we forget this whole thing that the fulfillment doesn't come when we get what we want. The fulfillment comes when we seek first the kingdom. It's when he shifted something so deep inside of us that all he has to do now is add the things we need. Because we're so busy pursuing him that that becomes the easiest thing. Our focus is no longer on God, give me, give me, give me. The focus is God, make me, make me, make me, make me, make me like you. Here's, here's the third thing. Don't pursue the kingdom with calm. Okay? So, so, so don't, don't confuse the kingdom with works. Don't replace the kingdom with things. But don't pursue the kingdom with calm. What do you mean by calm? Calm. With, you know, being chill, cool. Kind of like, hey, God, you know, when I get there, I get there. When I find you, I find you. No. Bible says, seek me with all your heart and then you'll find me. There's a, a desire that we need to recognize. Here's how Jesus said it. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. There is a divine mandate. The divine mandate is seek. The word seek means to pursue with passion. Pursue with passion. So we're going to seek Him. He says, pursue the kingdom with passion. Then He says, not just seek, but He says, seek first. That's divine priority. That word first there means first in order, but it also means first in rank. That means above everything else, above everything else, 
You need to seek the kingdom. Above every desire, the kingdom needs to be number one. Above every want, the kingdom needs to be up there. Above every, everything else needs to submit itself to the kingdom of God. God's rulership in my life must be the most desirous thing for me and everything else. My marriage, my kids, my career, my everything else, my money, my health, everything else needs to fall in line underneath that one desire. Desire that if his kingdom rules me, oh my gosh, my marriage starts to line up because the leadership, the rulership, the mastery, the governance of God is in my heart. Therefore, I start to behave like him. My marriage starts to line up with him. If he's number one, everything else starts to fall in line. Jesus, seek that first. If you seek that first, it's easy to add everything else. It's so easy to add everything else. Because what? Because God is in control now. Seek Him. Let everything else fall under that number one priority. That the kingdom would be at the top of my life. I need to seek His influence to be extended over my private life, and my sexual life, and my business life, and every every area of my life. That my will would become His will. That my ways would become His ways. That His culture becomes my culture. That His interests become my interests. God says, seek me first. Put me ahead. Whatever you desire right now, delight yourself in me and I'll take care of all the desires of your heart. But delight in me first. Focus on me. He wants to influence you. He wants to change you. He wants to control you. He wants to be your master. Throughout the Bible, we see this passionate pursuit of God. Listen to these scriptures. See if you can feel the passion in this. Uh, Psalm 63 verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts after you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Psalm 42 verse 1, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 84 verse 2, My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Philippians chapter 3, here's Paul speaking, verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I've discarded everything else and counted it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Acts 20 verse 24, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus uh, communicated this same thing about the kingdom. He said this, He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a man. This is Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. He's a, he's a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. He's, he's going over here hoping this will satisfy him. And he's going over here hoping this will satisfy him. And he's going over here and he's holding on to this person and to this job and to this car and to this. And he's going all over trying to find. And then he finds the one pearl 
The one thing that he realizes, this is what I've been looking for all my life. This is the thing that will satisfy me. And what he does is this, he sells everything else that he has. He gives up everything that he has. He turns his back on everything that he has. And he says, I want that and that alone. I will give up everything. It will cost me everything so I can have it. And Jesus says, that's the pursuit, the passion you need to seek the kingdom of God. It's got to be worth more than everything. It's got to be more than your position. It's got to be worth more than everything you had. The kingdom has got to be worth it all to you. Can you give it all up for me? And Jesus, from His throne in heaven, looked down one day, and He saw you. And he saw me. And he said, I found it. I found the pearl of great price. And he gave up his position. And he gave up his reputation. And he gave up all the angels. And he gave up all the comfort of heaven. And he came down on earth and dressed himself as a man, took on human flesh. And he even gave up his life. He gave up every other pearl so that he could get you. So he could get me. And he passionately pursued us and made us his number one priority. And he won us. We are His pearl of great price. And He says to you and I today, can you pursue me the way I pursued you? Can you turn your back on every other trivial pursuit and come hard after me? Because I came hard after you. And nothing was going to stop me. The devil wasn't going to stop me. The Pharisees wasn't going to stop me. Pilate wasn't going to stop me. My disciples weren't going to stop me. Nobody was going to stop me from finding you, from winning you, from having you. Nothing was going to... I am that passionately in love with you. Can you pursue me the way I pursued you? And today... I want us to start this series by simply saying, you know what, God? I am ready to commit myself to the kingdom. I am ready to have you rule my heart, to have you rule my life. I'm ready. I may have gotten off track or maybe I never ever got on track. But whatever it is right now, Lord God, I'm giving you everything. I'm saying, God, take my heart, take my life, be in full control. I want your government to rule my heart. I want to be fully sold out for you. I am giving you everything because in you is everything I need. If yet that's you this morning, I just want you to raise your hands right there. We're going to pray together. Because I'm doing this. I did this this morning. I just said, God, you know what? I'm giving my heart again. I'm submitting fully again. I'm saying, kingdom come, will be done in my heart right now. In Jesus' name. That's what I'm doing, Lord. Fully submitted. God, if you tell me to go, I'm going. If you tell me to stay, I'm staying. God, I'm giving you everything. What are you saying to me, Lord? 
Because whatever you say I'm doing, you, you need me to do. I'm your servant. I'm ready to do it. If that's you this morning, just raise your hands with me. Because we're going to commit together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. God, we lift our hands this morning. We lift our hands as a sign of surrender. We say, God, we are submitted to you today. God, we give you our hearts. We give you our lives. We give you, Lord God, our everything, our desires. Lord, our responses, our attitudes. God, we give you, God, every ear of our lives, our will, our feelings. God, our, our thoughts. Jesus. We submit ourselves to you. God, we ask you to forgive us. Forgive me, Lord God, for the trivial pursuits I've been having. Forgive me, Lord God, for looking to others to fill my needs, Lord God. Forgive me for putting the burden on my wife, my spouse, Lord God. For putting the burden on my kids to make me happy. For putting my burden on my workplace and my work... uh, Uh, co-workers and my boss to make me happy. Lord, forgive me, Lord God, for putting the burden on other people or other things to do what only you can do in my heart. God, set me free to pursue you with all my heart. Set me free, Lord, to chase after you hard to find you. God, I love you this morning. I submit fully to you. I thank you for changing me now. Be king of my life. Be king of my heart. Your kingdom come in my heart right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Just stay here just for a second. Just allow him to minister to you just for a moment. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. If you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus in your heart,